Have you ever had a client that's just stuck? You're doing your best moves. You're trying your very, very best. But week after week after week, they just stay stuck in the same position. Wouldn't it be nice if you had a strategy that you're really clear on to help with that situation? Well, today is your lucky day. Welcome to the Leading Edge in Emotionally Focused Therapy with your hosts, Dr. James Hawkins and Dr. Ryan Reyna. EFT is a dynamic model that humbles even the most seasoned therapists. Together, we want to come alongside you as you continually push the leading edge of your understanding and application of this wonderful model developed by Dr. Sue Johnson. All right. Well, welcome to today's episode. We're excited to be here. We've been working really, really hard um, for the last several hours getting ready. So um, today's episode I'm excited about. It's one of my favorite topics, working with a stuck client, repetitively reflecting the attachment dilemma is our topic. And so we're excited to get to that today. Before we do, though, we want to take a step back. We've had a chance to review previous episodes. One thing we want to get a little more clear on before we go to to today's topic um, actually in two previous episodes, the three points of attunement, the third point is attuning to the target. And then in the focus episode, which I believe was the previous episode, we talk about keeping your focus around the target. And as I listen to it, I'm like, we could be a little more clear on what we mean by target. We keep using words like corrective experience and, uh, a, a really, really heavily trained EFT or knows just what we mean, but we also want to be a resource for people who maybe are a bit more new to the model. So let me unpack that really fast. By the target, we, we mean corrective emotional experiences. And what we mean by that is just missing conversations. When a relationship is and stays unsafe for a period of time, the most natural thing to do is to live more and more from your protection and to get rid of your longings, to hide them, disown them, Get rid of them because at that point, hope makes you in danger, actually. Mm. The problem is that's like getting rid, of, getting rid of the gasoline and hoping that your car runs, which is really what clients are coming to our office to say, hey, can you make my car run better without gasoline? And ultimately, the answer is no. I can look at the good reasons why you're not putting fuel in the tank, but I've got to help you put fuel in the tank or the bond won't run, the car won't run. Mm. So let's get more clear. What we're meaning is... We declare mission, like we talked about in a previous episode, when we, when, when through our trust, through our alliance, we help a client drop into a more vulnerable description uh, of the pain that exists underneath the cycle for them. The word vulnerable is used a lot. I'm literally meaning to choose, to consciously choose to live in an unprotected way, even if it's for just for three or four minutes. So being unprotected to distill and give a granular description of your inner world of pain that sits below the cycle. And then we respond as the therapist to try to create more safety. And then we ask them to take a risk with our enactments by turning to the partner, which is both the source of comfort and the source of pain, the paradox of intimacy, and to share this more vulnerable aspect that sits below their cycle. And then we work with the partner, either naturally or through our work, to respond with empathy, 
but demonstrated empathy, to come into attunement with this person. That's what we mean by corrective emotional experience. Then we process that, of course. So when we talk about the target, we're referring to that aspect, which we're hoping to have one at a time, one at a time, one mission at a time, going deeper and deeper and deeper, titrating to even very, very deep parts of them, model of self, et cetera. And the question is, can we trust this? Do we trust that having these corrective experiences, these deeper missing conversations, which we're bringing back to life, we're resurrecting this back to life in our office, do we trust that that will change three things? One's view of self. When you become more clear on your inner world and you get responded to in places that you're normally left alone, it changes your view of self. It also changes view of other. They go from being an enemy to an ally. Sue Johnson talks about the dominant emotional experience of other that shifts via these target corrective experiences. And also it changes the culture of the relationship where the threats now become outside your relationship instead of always in. I worked with a pro athlete several years ago and uh, this person was a pursuer, great, great client. But it, you know, like most clients, he was super anxious at first saying, how do we fix this? How do we fix this? How do we fix this? I don't understand what you're talking about. Which, by the way, when that happens, that's just normal. And I just, so finally I just said, hey, have you ever been on a team that wasn't so healthy? You know, you kind of lost the locker room. The team culture became unhealthy. Instantly he sits back and he smiles and he goes, got it. Because he knew what I was implying there. It wasn't that they were bad. It wasn't that they couldn't have a good relationship. It's that when people live in a cycle, the culture becomes toxic, just like a locker room of a team. And if we, and you can change the culture, but you only change the culture by winning games. And what we're trying to give people is success in their vulnerability, which is the title of a, of an episode coming forth. And so these corrective experiences, these target experiences change self view of self view of other and the culture of their relationship. So James, is that easy to do or hard to do and why? That is hard to do to shift the energy in these relationships and that takes us really into where, what we're going to be talking about today. But before I get into today, this is not something that's brand new that we, that, that Ryan won definitely for you. I, I appreciate getting to learn this um, from you and other EFT trainers in a way, but this is something that you've made like a direct part of your practice and your training. So you've had the opportunity to talk about this on the couple's couch, uh, the podcast with Shane Burkle, which was a really good one. And I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. If you want to go hear that, um, also, you had a chance to do a really good job at this with a significant person in our EFT community, Annabelle Bugatti. Really appreciate Annabelle and the work she does on, she does We Heart Therapy, which you can see on YouTube. And um, also she's translated that into a podcast as well. And we'll definitely link Annabelle's uh, work in the show notes as well. So um, those are two places I've heard you talk about. It, and you did good jobs in both of those. Today, though, after me kind of listening to those, I want us to really hone it down and make this thing, this important move so much more clear if we can for you all because it is significant so let me make it even practical ryan for me i remember when you challenged us even in our community to really make sure one if you find yourself stuck stay there and do not move until your until you can show you can get back from your client that they see that you have their attachment dilemma don't move until you got that and also what you did that was helpful for me in practice was you can start off your sessions with the attachment dilemma. 
and being able to recite this. This is the dilemma in our last session that I kind of saw both of you working with and that you were called in and this is the stuck place. And then, and then it's, then you get clear on now, where are you at right now? Yeah. Let me jump in with you on that. That's a, that's a great point, James. And that kind of links back with our last episode as well. We talked about getting focus at the start of sessions. And so this is one way to do that is to open up your session with the leading edge every session. There we go. <laughs> you could take us into all your sessions with you, but it really is a great <laughs> way to do that is to reflect back, hey, here's how far we got last time. Mm -hmm. And here's, here's the last information I had about where your cycle and your bond is. Is that true now? It's mm -hmm. a great focusing question. In fact, it's the one I would recommend is to summarize their leading edge at the previous session. Mm -hmm. So great point. Yeah. And I want to, so let's help you. I want to make that a little bit more clear when we talk about attachment dilemma and what, what is it Ryan's talking about summarizing? So I guess it's a little bit of attachment one-on-one, but we know that with attachment, attachment really is about a, it's a responding to distress, fear, a separation in a relationship. When you look at Bowlby and how he studied it. And so when people's attachment system is triggered and it's alarmed, it's trying to deal with distress and the separation in the relationship. So one part of that is we know that there's a longing there. There's a longing to reconnect, to reestablish a sense of connectedness and safety in the relationship. We're good, right? So that's one part of the dilemma is their longing. The longing we know is there. Like you said, Ryan, it's in their bones. They want to do it. But then what happens is when we're not in a secure place, to really be allowed to allow those, those longings and fears to come forward, what happens is we make protective type moves that don't allow our longings to come through in the clearest way to send a signal to our partner about our need or our fear. And then that's where we come in as the therapist, where our clients, sometimes they don't know how to put that into words or what's happening in them. And it's confusing. It's frustrating for them. It's so hard. It doesn't make sense why their partner can't see it or why their partner's doing what they're doing or why they're stuck. Um, and so even some hearing some of your trainings, Ryan, is helping the client to see the longing but also to see the protection and honoring both of those. Um, on, and, and hearing your training, you tell me if this is where you want to go with this, Ryan, but you did a good job of making this clear for both the pursuer and withdrawer. Because so in a pursuer, when that security is lost, what their body says is activate. Their body's like, there's something, there's a disconnection here, something's went wrong and it needs to be fixed for there to be safety. It needs to be addressed so we can be okay. And the fear for them is, and if we don't, if we can't turn towards this and address this, then we're going to be in a bad place. So let me make sure I say this. So I want to give a, try and give a dilemma for a pursuer, what it might look like. If you're giving a pursuer's dilemma, it's almost like looking at that pursuer and say, you're right, you know, right here, I even see it in this session, your body gets activated. And what, but what happens for you that sucks is the more you try, the more they see your partner seems to go away or blame you for, for, for bringing these things up. And then, but, but the problem is, but if you shut down or if some way you try and ignore these things, what you see is that nothing happens. And when nothing happens in a relationship or these things that, that are a concerns for you aren't addressed, that's, that's further proof for you that if you do nothing, then nothing will happen in the relationship. So you're really stuck in a dilemma here. My body is saying activate and address this and do something about this. But the more I try and do it, the more they seem to go away or the more they blame me for bringing things up. But then if I do nothing, nothing happens. And that's scary for me. 
what is it like to be in that place? You, you're, you know, what, what we're talking about here on this, Ryan, what you told me on saying it one time is not enough, James. You have to do it repetitively until the client sees, until the client lets you know that they can see that you really get their dilemma. Yeah? Great points. Um, repetitively is key. Okay. And it's very, very weird as a therapist, as we talk about on those podcasts. You can get a triple podcast here. Now that's what you're looking for. Repetition is your friend. Mm -hmm. It will be a good day if your client looks at you and says, you're saying that over and over. Mm. I know that you get it. That would not be a problem. That would be a great thing. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard many people complain in my career of like, you know, my therapist gets me too much. I haven't, I haven't gotten that yet. But I, you get a lot on the other side. So do this way more than you think you should. I'm going to say times 10. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's right. If you think you start to see their dilemma, assume that you have 10% of it and quadruple down times 10 down and watch what happens next. You'll see some transformation and stuckness. And, and what you said about the pursuer just adding with yeah. you here, um, it's not just that it's scary for me if yeah. nothing happens. What that means is complete and total destruction. There we go. We have nothing left. Wow. So... To stop doing some of those moves means to completely give up on the relationship. And if I was going to do that, I wouldn't be in your office. Exactly. So I, I am showing you that I have a dilemma by the fact that I'm sitting in front of you. So let me make sure I make sure I make this clear because I really because this is bit big for me. So we know already with attachment, it is about moving back towards distress and getting security. So there's a longing there to reestablish connection. But when I don't feel secure in allowing my needs and my vulnerability to be seen. I make protective moves. And so that's where it's sometimes for pursuers, it can feel like what people would say is like they're blaming me or they're just making these global complaints. And it can feel so negative, but that pursuer, that's the move they got to try and reestablish there. That's right. And, but then they're, they're told like, you know, they're being blamed that they're too much. They're crazy. They're making it too big. And so they, a pursuer typically will try the pursuers in our office. Like, Hey, I'm trying my best to not do that thing. Yep. But then when I don't do it, then, like you said, the, I'm left in this place that is total. It can feel like just total annihilation of our relationship, and that's not an acceptable place to accept either. But I have a dilemma. Yeah, if I accepted it, I wouldn't wouldn't have even come in. That's right. And, and that energy for the pursuer actually is great energy. That's the exact. Exactly. That's the exact energy we need to defeat this cycle. Mm -hmm. Yes, we need it to be done differently. Mm -hmm. We need to keep that energy online in a way that creates connection mm -hmm. versus creates lack of safety. Mm -hmm. But the pursuer often can't change that until their dilemma is experienced. Mm -hmm. People use the word seen, but it's more of an experience. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's less about you're cognitively aware. Mm -hmm. They need to see in your body that you see the dilemma that their body is caught in. And there's so many points, just what you said, one thing, uh, when, when you were saying that is when you experience it. So that's where repetitive comes in because you're not just saying it back flatly to them as an EFT therapist. You're really reflecting it in your nonverbals. Nice. You're reflecting it in your tone and you're literally, like, you're trying to feel and be with like you, you're coming alongside, you're attuning to them and you going back to our three points of attunement and you're feeling it in your own body. What would it be like in that place? And you let them see it. You, you go to that stuck place and you reflect it back to them and let them like, and it's like, cause then it, what I've seen for, uh, for clients is they're like, exactly. Yeah. Where are you in our living room or something? Yep. 
So I want to be fair and also do this for the withdrawal too. So let me give the withdrawal dilemma. Hang on. I just want to, it's such a great point that you made. And I didn't make that point as good as well, excuse me, in my other podcast. You know, I said it, but you said it better. You know, it's body language. It's um, your pace. Mm -hmm. You know, if if you're in a hurry, Mm -hmm. you you miss. Mm -hmm. And again, say that back to me when I'm done because I'm usually in a hurry. Mm -hmm. Um, You cannot be in a hurry when you're repetitively reflecting attachment dilemmas. If you're in a hurry, you missed. And if you missed, here's the good news. You'll get to do it every week. (laughs) They'll be here for another two years. Waiting on us to slow down and meet them where they are. I'll tell you this. I'm not a big crier. Um, I have cried with clients multiple times, but not every session. I wish I did sometimes because uh, in addition to the fact that that's a a wonderful gesture of love, it also is an incredible technique. But I was doing this one time with a very strident pursuer. And I wasn't intending to. But I had been trained enough finally. I think I'm a slow learner. It takes me a long time. That's one of my hopes of the podcast is maybe maybe the listeners of this podcast won't have to lose as many times as I did to finally make some shifts here. That'd be nice. Anyway, so I finally slowed down with this strident pursuer, and I was just trying to reflect her stuckness and how, and this is the phrase I use a lot, you don't have a good move. That is such a powerful phrase to say to your clients. You don't have a good move. A lot of therapists might be afraid to say that. I'm like, no, that's the perfect thing to say. The worst thing you could come across is to say, you should be doing this. You should be doing better. Should and shame. Those are, don't go with movement. So anyway, I was just reflecting back and she, and she was agreeing with me. And she was talking about if she does nothing, nothing will happen, which is almost universal for any pursuer. And then she just expounded, and that's how it's been my whole life. And she just gave me a quick sentence about, I don't remember exactly the details, but it was a heartbreaking scenario. And I don't know that I was even aware of it, but she looks up, and she saw like a little tear in my eye. Mm. And that changed the whole case. Wow. And she even commented on it. It was that time when I saw the tear in your eye. Mm-hmm. I couldn't move until then. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow. If I hadn't slowed down and been intentional with what I was doing in that moment, I wouldn't have even made space to have a, a tear in my eye. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to just go, we're going to just drive in the cul-de-sac over and over and over as we had done for months before that moment. And, and that change, that case never went back. Mm-hmm. That's what she needed from me. And so repetition and speed are really, really key with this. And I want to come right behind that. So here's why that's big. So I want you as therapists listening to this to just feel that moment. Imagining that there's been something that you've been doing your whole life, or at least in the context of this relationship for many years, thousands of times, and you keep getting the same result. And you can't figure out why it's maddening for you. It's frustrating you. You feel despair and despondent and hopeless. But then to have someone else come alongside you and instead of blaming you for the good intentions, that's where it can feel hard because you have a good intention there. And someone coming alongside of you and making sense of it and helping you find the good reasons about why you're doing what you're doing and how frustrating it is and helping you to see it, not just from like see it from the outside, but see it alongside with you. I feel like that's a corrective move already in and of itself. That is an attachment intervention right there just for a therapist to do that with their client to help them see and be with them in that place 
I think so. And then two, I just, this is a side note. You also just made a good case, Ryan, why trainings matter. You know, I can hear therapists sometimes in the community talking about why, you know, why do trainings cost so much or, you know, why do I need to go to this? You just nailed it. I can go watch videos. Maybe I can kind of read a book and there is some part for that, but here's why good quality trainings matter that I've seen from EFT trainers. You all do a good job of also sharing, not just what you've learned and mastered, but you're also sharing with us the ways in which you maybe struck out. That's what I like about EFT. Sue and the rest of her team are doing a really good job of always staying on the leading edge of getting better and refining moves. And so why do I need to go stumble in the same potholes that, you know, Sue or George or Ryan or Allison have already worked through and they're giving me the moves in that place? Why should I go do the same thing again when I can go be more effective in my therapy? Well said. That was true for me. And I, I had to look at my learning style. I read, but I don't, I don't, reading doesn't translate to, mm-hmm. um, in my office. Some people it does, mm-hmm. but I knew from the start, I'm not going to be able to read Sue's book and get that much better at EFT. So mm-hmm. I'll tell you my testimony. I went to 35 externships before I became a supervisor. I know that's not practical <laughs> for everybody else. I mean, I paid for my first three and then I volunteered and picked up trash and, and then I, you know, segued into being a facilitator eventually before I went through certification and so forth. So repetition. Mm-hmm. Repetition. There we it's go. key to learning, man. Because remember, what we do, what we're really believing in EFT therapy is we're not just doing like, I don't know how to really say this the best way. It's not just talk therapy. We really are working with a person in healing their limbic system and their, 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 their neurological system, really. And so they need several reps of that to help make the neural connections and the different connections even within their body to help find healing and comfort, I think. For sure. For sure. And so, I'm, I know not everyone can do 35 externships, by the way. Yeah. But stay engaged with your community. There you, you know, go. Go say, hey, I'll serve. Can I just sit in the back, you know, or, mm-hmm. or pay for a repeat? Um, that's investment in your client's future. And once you have these skills and this paradigm, it's in your body the rest of your career. Mm-hmm. So there's a little... Yeah. Side note to, to engage training and to engage your peer to peer in your local communities. That's right. And I want to decide because we do believe in, in supporting and building up our EFT community. Uh, Catherine Ream is doing a great job at the EFT Cafe of trying to provide opportunities for people to get reps and learn in. Uh, Leanne Campbell, her um, NEFT, um, dot CA, something like that. Both those are excellent. Great, great stuff. And, you know, and George Fowler is working on some great stuff coming up here too as well. So. Um, so I want to lock back in here. So I like the point. One of the good practical points you just made, Ryan, is to be able, when you do the attachment dilemma, kind of as, as I summarized, just a quick one time around for a pursuer. And each time you do the attachment dilemma, you just take another level drop. You, you're catching all their moves. Um, but to be able to, when you get to the end of it and they feel it, and you, what you said on one of the podcasts was, you'll notice certain cues in their body. You'll see their body begin to relax into the chair. You'll see them take an exhale and a deep breath. You'll see them start shaking their head. Yes. Um, I've seen people where tears start coming to their eyes in the moment. I've even noticed that the other partner responds in a way. You see their eyes start looking at the person and they start having a response because not only are you saying it for that person who's in front of you to get it, what they're also getting to see is that a professional who's watched thousands of these type things to see it and say it back out loud. And they're like, what I've sometimes got from the other partner, the withdrawal that's with the pursuer is I never saw what it looked like for them. And it's even as I'm sitting here looking at it, that does suck. (laughs) Uh, But then the point you just said, Ryan, I think that's good for people listening 
And to be able to look at that person and say, you don't have a good move here. One, that just takes so much blame away. <laughs> you don't have a good move here. And then it also opens it up to change too. But that's what we're going to try to do here in therapy is help you find new moves in these places you haven't had success. All right. So the withdrawal dilemma sounds a little bit like this. Okay. So once again, the withdrawal, they want security too. They want to know that everything in the relationship is safe and is okay, but their attachment system has been triggered because something isn't right. Their body has picked up on that something in the relationship is not okay, but maybe they don't feel safe enough on that it's like okay to go in, but they want to try and do something to fix it. So for that withdrawal, what their body literally says in that place is, in a sense, deactivate, bring the volume down bring things down, bring this tension down to get it back to a place where we can feel safe and that won't destroy our relationship. Yeah. Or else. Or else. Right. That's right. Cause if I don't, if I don't bring it down, it will just the same thing for the pursuer. This will annihilate and destroy our relationship. And so to be able to come to that withdrawal and, and say, you know what, you have tried to reflect that you care and that you desire uh, to, to help in this relationship. But then when you try and express that desire that you want to fix things, that you want things to be okay, then what happens in that place is that you're told that you did it wrong or that you're doing it wrong or that what you did is not good enough. And then you feel like this place, like you're disappointing them and that you're failing and that actually what happens is you see them get madder at you. And that's the exact opposite of what you're trying to do to protect the relationship. So your next move in that place is, okay, don't try anymore. I'll just go away. So it makes sense that you don't want to do anything then because you don't want to do anything that actually makes this worse, right? I don't want to make it worse. I want to bring this tension down so we can be safe. But then when you try and go away to protect the relationship, to keep it from being annihilated or destroyed, but then you're told that you don't care, which is actually the opposite. It's like, I really do care. It's just that this is the only move I got is to keep things, uh, is to go away and hope that things kind of calm back down so that way we don't both get destroyed. And then even when you try and protest that, that you do care and you get angry because you really do care, but then you get angry and you're told you have an anger problem. You don't have a good move here. Am I catching that dilemma right? Perfect. And, you know, you can change some of the exact phrases mm -hmm. here, but these are just the most common ones that we see. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, you can tweak that here or there, but the, that's right. The bottom line is if I step forward, I have experientially learned that this is going to make it worse. Mm -hmm. So for withdrawers in a very reactive cycle, their absence is very adaptive. Mm -hmm. It is survival, not only for them, but for their relationship. It is the way they fight for their relationship. It does actually, and I'm putting my hands in quotations, work. Mm -hmm. And it's important that you know that sometimes we can get so focused on attachment history that, oh, it's his trauma history. That's why he doesn't talk. And that may be a factor, but it's just a factor. It's not the factor because it is also an adaptive move for their relationship. So, yeah, there's two or three moves. None of them work. He or she doesn't have a good move. They need to experience that from you when they're stuck repetitively. Stay there longer. It's hard for a therapist. Let me tell you what's going to feel like. You're going to be like, oh, my gosh. You start to feel helpless. But it's the opposite. You are, you are accessing mirror neurons. Mm -hmm. You are coming into attunement. You are helping them move through stuckness 
it's okay to feel helpless. It's even okay to lean into hopelessness mm-hmm. because who can't relate to that? Mm-hmm. And even someone who, who's in a vicious cycle, if I experience them as helpless, that kind of vulnerability demands engagement. Mm. And so next thing you know, we've already started moving towards a corrective experience just by doing this dilemma work. Sometimes it happens without, without doing anything. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the partner ch- jumps in as a rescue, and it's a good thing, mm-hmm. you know, which we'll talk about in future episodes. We would call that a green light, mm-hmm. but we'll come back to that. So I want to even come along in here as I'm thinking about therapists just learning EFT. So that sounded beautiful what we just said, and you're right, Ryan. You could change any of those phrases. This goes back to something we mentioned on the previous podcast about focus is that's why the, I, I love what Sue did with the EFT tango. This is the beautiful genius of the simplicity of it. That's why that reflect present process, the movement of the tango is so important here because, you know, we just did this in general, but you'll get this language from doing a good move one of the tango right here. So when this happens, what do you do? And then what happens? And then what do you do? And then what happens? And then what do you do? You're getting it all loaded here, right? And so you're getting the language that you need to be able to catch in this moment to give their dilemma. So when you do this, this is what happens. You get this. And then when you do that, and then if you don't do that, then this is what happens. So that so you're right, right? It's still about we're giving you some general language. But as you listen to your clients, trust me, as you keep doing reps, and you need reps to do this too, is as you keep doing reps, you'll find yourself, this becomes just a part of who you are and what you begin to do. And it also for me, right, it helps me see it more clearly. I see when my client is making the attempts, then I see the block, I see I see what happens when they make their attempt, the, like kind of the missed attempt that the other partner can't see. Then I also see their protective move when that long ear, that, that, that when their first attempt is not missed and they go into the protection, I see what happens there. And then I just make it more, then now it's about making it explicit for them. So once again, going back. So that, just uh, something that I like that you said, use your client's language yes. with these dilemmas. Yes. Uh, there, there are some, some versions of EFT have more insight than others, but as a rule, EFT is not an insight oriented model. That's right. So don't try to make your clients learn all our language. That's right. I don't, you don't ever have to even use the word pursuer and withdrawer. That's right. I'm not saying that you can't. Sometimes it might be helpful, but as a rule, you put a big cognitive load on your clients when you're making them speak our language, it's, we're better served to speak theirs. And, and you just said, you know, if you, if you take a stand, you get told you're angry. Well, that might, might not be the word they used. Mm-hmm. So use their word. That's right. When you can. Exactly. Exactly. Because what does that do once again, Ryan? That makes it more experiential for them. They get to feel their own dilemma. They're not learning about an, a, the attachment dilemma from a book or about some other couple that you saw 10 years ago. They need to learn and experience their own dilemma. So that way they can feel it loaded in their body in the moment, in session, and you're actually helping them to have a corrective emotional experience in their attachment dilemma that they've gotten stuck in repetitively and that beats them both up. And I liked what you said on one podcast, Ryan, was. Um, and at this point, it's about blaming the cycle and not the partners. It's about blaming the partners. And when we keep doing this and, and when this cycle keeps happening this way, it beats you both up and makes you both feel stuck and you're in pain and feeling defeated by this cycle. Am I getting that right? And usually what you, what I found, Ryan, you tell me what it looks like for you. 
what I've liked, what I see when I do good attachment dilemma works with, with both sides, it actually creates a unified experience because they almost look at each other and like, yeah, that's the exact cycle that's beat us both up. And it creates some point of unity. And then what happens is that usually frees me up for a, a little bit of a cleaner going into a uh, tango move too, where I can then go in and distill some, one side's emotion a little bit more clear and get to go move into tango move three and have that, uh, that um, enactment. Oh, that's what I found from it. Yeah. yeah. So you can go ahead, Ryan, here. All right. All right. Cool. I'm gonna, I want to step back. Um, okay. I love what you're saying. And j just for the sake of repetition here, <laughs> you know, ha have any one of these, any, any of our listeners today, have you ever been stuck? Mm -hmm. You know, if you haven't, we're probably not doing therapy. To, to do therapy is to say, I'm going to go into stuck places with people. And what's that like for us? We have a dilemma too, don't we? I try to reach and move, and, and I actually create resistance. If I pull back and just let them process, they don't get better, mm -hmm. right? And maybe I go up and do psych ed, and they like me or give them some, some tips and techniques. They come back next week just stuck the same. Mm -hmm. So we're, the dilemmas are all around us. I'm curious how it even feels to hear that right now, you know, to know how normal that is. And uh, I'm not going to do it repetitively for the sake of time, but it's important that we recognize our dilemma too. So I want to go back and give you three little just pieces here, and then we're going to review what James has said. Why does this happen? Why does stuckness happen in therapy? How does someone get rid so rigid? How do heels get dug in? And let's look at attachment. What does attachment tell us? That when there's too much distance, when there's insecurity in view of self, view of other, the first thing that happens is rigidity. People lock up which makes good sense. That is a natural human response to fear. That is the protective energy of attachment. And with that rigidity becomes obviously the inability to be flexible and curious. And, th and that's what's going on with stuckness. We've got to see stuck means no one sees me and I do not feel safe. If you could, if I could tattoo that on my hand, it would probably be worth the ugliness because when stuckness reaches your office, it feels awful for the therapist. It's hard to work with someone who continues to say the same phrase over and over and over. Maybe they rigidly blame or they rigidly go away, change the subject, divert, or just get enraged. All these forms of rigidity make it hard on us. Um, and So I'm curious for you. Let's go back to personal for a moment for the listener. Let's take it off you and your partner. Let's look at your work relationships or maybe friendships or maybe family of origin. What's it like for you to be on the receiving end of too much energy? Someone who's constantly critical. Someone who's constantly giving you the message, you're not enough. I need you to be different. You don't call me enough. Uh, you never check on me. What's that like for you? What does that bring up for you? And what's it like to be in a relationship with someone who when you need them every time, they're not there. They seem to be prioritizing everything else but you. In fact, they seem to be happier without you. When you're in relationships like that, what do you notice differently about yourself? Are you normal? Do you feel good about life in those moments? Do you find yourself nice and flexible and curious? Or in those relationships, do you find yourself getting more rigid? I suspect, it's, I suspect it's the latter because that is the normal relationship. 
with a normal sort of strategy to handle relationships that are like that. Okay, I'm going to give you a metaphor. It's a terrible one, okay? <laughs> you, um, you are on a farm, and uh, you, you go out, and somehow you find yourself in a really stuck situation. There's a dry well, and you're at the bottom of it by yourself, and it's dark. And someone above the well is trying to help you. And the bad news is it's kind of dark. The even worse news is there's just enough light to see that the bottom of this well, you are surrounded by 10 venomous snakes. And they're just, they're looking like they're going to strike you at any moment. How's that feeling for you? Anybody scared of snakes? I'm a little scared of snakes. I'm even more scared of being stuck in small places. <laughs> and I don't like to feel powerless. But here I sit in all three of those events. Poisonous snakes all around you. Some of them are behind your head, up on the wall. You can't really get out. And uh, it's dark in there, but just light enough for you to see the snakes and the hissing that's going on around. It's moist. It's dark. It's a bad day. And the good news is you're not there completely by yourself. There's someone up top. But that person is not in the well. What do you need from them? Let me tell you what you don't need from them. How about they, they get out a piece of paper that they learned in some model and say, okay, what you need is to do jumping jacks, maybe some planks, some exercises. Here's your technique to be healthy. How's that going to land? Not so good. How many, how many of you feel seen and caught and understood in that moment? And what's sad is jumping jacks, planks are actually good for you. The information's accurate, but it's just misattuned with the stuckness of your situation. What I need first from that person is for them to recognize my stuckness. I need to hate, I need to know, I need to know, not just here briefly, but I need to know that they know you are stuck. You don't have a good move. You're not in this pit because you're an idiot or you're incapable or less skilled than me. This is at some level bad luck. And I see the snakes. I see that jumping jacks and just a little bit of climbing technique is not right for us. And so you, you see the metaphor because it's so easy for us who's not in the pit to throw out healthy ideas and information. Not helpful. <laughs> they need to hear from you first. You see their stuckness. They need to hear it from you repetitively. The more stuck they are, the more repetition they need. Let's make that a show note. If they're not that stuck, if they're pretty flexible, if they're in process with therapy, reflect their attachment dilemma. This is hard. This is where it gets stuck for you. When the cycle comes up, here's the dilemma you get stuck in. If they're kind of stuck, but mostly in process. But if they're really stuck, they need a lot of repetition of this. We need to prove that our body sees how stuck their body is. And then secondly, we need to get in the pit with them. We need to develop a pulley system that is tied to a nice strong tree that we can go all the way in there and face the pain of the snakes with them in the darkness. But also a secure system that knows we can get them out of there, which is EFT. But it takes our risk too when we go into pain, as we're going to talk about in later episodes. But for today, 
It's the process that before we get in the well with them or as we're getting into the well with, with them, we need them to experience saying, we need, to ex- we need them to experience us saying, I see it. I see it. This sucks. <laughs> this is not fair. This is not okay. They need to experience us, not just our words, our whole body language, as James did a beautiful job talking about. The load of that pit is a big one. We have the opportunity to share the load by our presence, by our joining them. Catherine Ream, mentor, friend, great trainer out of Baltimore, she says that when we enter painful places, we share the limbic load. We, we, we loan out our limbic system to be used. And that's like giving them a rope. When we, when we loan out our limbic system, we have given them a rope in a dark place that's out of control. The load of this pit is an attachment load. That's what attachment grounds us to. So part of this is identifying stuckness versus in process. Um, I don't think we have to unpack that, but I just want to reiterate, the more truly stuck someone is, the more repetition of this they need. The less truly stuck, more in process they are, you need to still use this, but not as much. You credited, I think, someone earlier. I want to credit one, two, three, four, five people. I never want to come on this podcast and, number one, act like I have this stuff down because I do not. I'm in process with you, and nor do I want to take credit for someone else's information. So we try to do a good job of this. Becca Jorgensen, this is Mm -hmm. the origin point. I got the word, word being attachment dilemma, reflecting it. She said it. I don't know how how much she unpacks this. I've only seen her teach a few times, but I'll give her all the credit on it. Fine by me. You know, Mm -hmm. she just was in the middle of a teaching and she says, until people experience that the therapist gets their attachment dilemma, they won't move. And she could not be more right about that. So credit to Becca. She's an incredible trainer out of uh, San Diego and Utah. She's great. She has tons of online resources. You should check her out. She's fantastic if you don't know her. Obviously, credit to Sue Johnson. This is all around her model. You see her doing it all the time. Very powerful reflector. George Fowler pointing out the two energies and working with defenses. To me, he's one of the best in the world at that. Also, Jim Furrow and Leanne Campbell helped me put this together. And without a doubt, there's people who are way better at this than me. I just love to be a part of the process and try to make this clear. All right, so time back in. (laughs) What we're unpacking here is the price of too much psych ed, the price of too much insight. We all do it. If I look at some of the worst sessions of my career – I spent 20 or 30 minutes on psych ed. Why is that a problem? Because it's the wrong part of the brain and people can't, people can't tend to use skills very well when, when they're taught skills in the context of safety, they tend to not be able to use them when they're in the context, context of risk. So the skills we want people to have is corrective experience with the cycle in the room. So that's just a universal truth of experiential work. What I do want to unpack, though, is, is a more direct threat. If someone says they're st- if someone's in a stuck place and our answer is, you know, you should try this or this, maybe if you say it this way, mm. your partner will feel more safe. It makes such sense for the therapist to do that. I've done it many times. Mm-hmm. I'm not even saying it's necessarily the worst thing to do. Just don't trust it and also see the threat here. What you've just said to that person in the pit is 
you know, maybe if you just do jumping jacks, you wouldn't be in that pit. It's not the therapist's intention. It's just how it lands when someone's that stuck in a dilemma. So we want to be careful with that. Advice implies I get it and you don't. Mm -hmm. I'm better than you. Mm -hmm. In fact, you're deficient, Mm -hmm. which is tricky for us because clients think that they want that. Mm -hmm. But the research is clear and experience teaches us be careful, be brief, get get to reflecting their dilemma. And then what you'll find is they, they're pretty good climbers mm. once they are seen safe and they have a rope that they can use. And the rope is our map. Mm-hmm. So this has to be felt in their body from our body. Let's take a moment and design, define what we mean by stuckness. What I mean is someone who can't move. Maybe they're defensive. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're totally cooperative, but they just come back every week in the same position. Attachment says what's really going on is they're in a hold repeat cycle. What they're saying is I am looking around and seeing the three or four moves I have that don't work. And I keep getting told to make these moves. It's my experience. I'm already doing these moves. They don't work. And so sometimes clients are nice and won't be, um, what's a good word? They won't be super vigilant and frustrated. And in doing so, we're like, let's do this, let's do that, let's do this enactment. And what they'll do is they'll like, okay, I'll come with you and try your little activities. <laughs> but the problem is that's not where their heart is. Their heart is still down in that pit. Mm. And what they're saying is I'm going to hold and wait for someone to see that the four moves I have don't work. And by the way, giving me a fifth move also won't work until I've got some safety and some footing. So they're in a hold repeat. If someone is stuck, they're holding this dilemma and they're just repeating, hoping that someone sees how stuck they are. We have to see this versus resistant. They're retelling us over and over and over that they're stuck in a dilemma, waiting for someone to capture it. And they can't move until we do. So let's, let's get specific as James did. In intimacy and closeness, is an inherent paradox. It is the natural human experience. It's in our bones to seek connection and to want closeness, whether it's a sports team that you follow or your partner in an intimate relationship. That longing for connection is human. It's also just as human to seek protection. And so these two energies, longing and protection, longing and protection is what you're seeing in your office all the time. So, so fast can people switch back and forth that it can be dizzying. It's really dizzying, though, if you don't know what you're experiencing. So that alone is a very helpful idea for me. So on, within those two energies are two styles. I know there's really four or five styles, but it's, to me it's most helpful to teach it as pursuer and withdraw. The pursue energy says activate to move towards safety or else The withdrawal energy says find a way to deactivate, to unwire the bomb before it explodes on us as a way to protect the relationship and to survive. To ask a pursuer to stop pursuing is to ask them to stop fighting, is to ask them to give up on their relationship. George Fowler does a nice job on his his podcast, 4Play Radio, where he says, If a pursuer stops pursuing, that's very bad news for the relationship. 
because what happens next usually is not good because that's the energy that we need. So, and asking a withdrawer to stop going away makes sense for the therapist, but it asks them to give up all their dilemma, oftentimes before we even accurately reflect that. So that repetition, the three or four moves that our pursuers have that don't work, repetitively reflecting, honoring, validating all those pieces, be fully human. And what we're looking for in, those, in that body language is resonance. Resonance is a limbic indicator that now I have entered your space. <laughs> and an exhale, a tear in the eye. Sometimes it's funny how, how humans are so similar. They often reach one hand forward and say, <sighs> exactly, right? And when that happens, it's a good day. You might come back and repeat it one more time just to give their body a full experience of it. But when they do that, it's like they've been carrying this load for so long, and finally they don't have to carry it alone. The strategic part of this, once they stop feeling like they have to carry this load, guess what they have new energy for? New experiences. Now maybe I can take this risk because I feel confident that someone has it. So the, the three or four most common moves for review here as we're wrapping up. Pursuers, I try to explain myself. I try to be rational. Um, I may come across like a lawyer sometimes, and that is my effort to fight for the relationship, but somehow it sends my partner further away. Or I try to be quiet for a while, and I just think maybe if I'm not too much, maybe they'll re-engage with me, but guess what happens? Nothing happens, and I'm left alone. So to, to not do something means to give up on my partner and their relationship. Or maybe I do a third move where I try to get us to therapy or I try to get some kind of movement. Maybe we set up a date, but it still creates the same movements. And I don't know what to do. So the withdrawer, I try to step forward. Every withdrawer in the world has made efforts to engage their relationship. Maybe not as many and, and maybe not with many words, but they've tried. And so what happens when you try? It makes us worse. It creates even more conflict. So to try is to destroy their relationship. But then I move away to try to just let the storm pass, and then I get told I'm not that committed. So then I, not only have I let you down again, but now I feel ashamed because I can't find my words. And the more we fight, the, the harder it is for me to find my words. So finally, I get told to stand up, so I do take a stand. But then it's so strong that I get told I have anger issues. That's an extremely common dilemma. So the point of this is to address stuckness by going right to the stuckness. You don't have a good move. This stinks. This is awful. And so stay there 10 times longer than you think you should. You're looking for resonance. If you don't see resonance, don't be afraid to say time out. Does it be overt? Does it seem like I fully get how difficult this is for you? A lot of therapists don't do that because we're afraid we're going to get more blame online. And sometimes you will. My answer is too bad. You're going to have to be okay with a little bit of blame because if you don't have their dilemma, they're not moving. How this transitions. If you get resonance on both sides, usually you have primary emotion right in the room. I would say 50% of the time it happens spontaneously. Primary emotion enters your room. Let's go. Let's get a target focus like we started this whole show with. 
EFT happens in the pain, not talking about attachment or not talking about pain. So now we go in the pain. We're trying to get it granular. We're trying to take it deeper. We're trying to set up enactments. Man, those are good takeaways, Ryan, I think, for therapists. And one of the thoughts I had as you said this that could be so validating for therapists in stuckness, you validated that the stuckness is actually just a natural byproduct of what our clients are going through. Even though, going back to those three points of attunement, it may feel really nasty inside of us. Because as therapists, what are we naturally trying to do? We want to create movement. So stuckness will activate our body to do something about it to make that stuckness go away. So today I feel like that's validating when you talk about that the more kind of like stuck in their dilemma are they are. What I pictured as we we're talking about pits is some of our clients have been trying the best they could with the tools that they had. The in the to, what they did though, it just kept digging the pit deeper and deeper and deeper. And so that just means I have to be willing as a therapist to also do the repetition of going into that place and helping them to get out of that pit. And that's okay. And actually that that's a good place. I'm actually on target. I am focused when I am doing that, which fits in with the last few podcasts that we've been doing. And you just validated the repetition that it is actually doing um, some limbic work. And I'm looking for limbic resonance, which tells me that I'm on target too, as well. When I begin to see that limbic resonance, when I check in with my client, and I begin to see in their body and they're able to verbalize to me that I'm getting it. And I also know that I'm on target, which is super, super, I mean, that's just big key. Um, and also what I think that you did right there at the end is that when we're doing good work like this, this is where we're getting close to our block 101 school, right? Because when you do good work like this, it is going to trigger the other person. Because you may be exposing something something brand new to them that they've never been able to see and that they might not be able to sit with. So doing good EFT work, it also does. It triggers people and it brings up blocks. And don't take those trigger that, that when they get triggered and they throw blocks at you as a bad thing that you're a bad therapist. You're actually in the right place. You're in the place where you really can create change. Well said. The, the partner is often going to be bothered by your work with their partner's dilemma. Expect that, do it anyway, right. <laughs> because, because it's also beneficial for them to hear a professional say to your partner, I see your stuckness. You don't have a good move. That's a cycle killer. Be prepared to be, have a little bit of confrontation from the other side. We're just going to validate that. I know that's hard to hear. Their dilemma doesn't make sense to you. And I'll be honest with you. I said this on Shane Merkel's uh, podcast. I, I don't see my partner's dilemma that much. It just... If she just do these two or three things, we'd be fine. That's just human of us. Don't, don't let that throw you off. Don't let that, don't let that make you stop repeating it. That's right. They need to experience your repetition of that. That's right. Pursue with pursue energy, withdraw energy. If it's, if it's very much at all, they are saying to you, I am in a dilemma. That's right. Do you see me? Mm -hmm. Can, can you prove to me that you see me? If you don't have a dilemma, you don't have much pursuer and withdrawer energy. So the more rigid it is, the more stuck they are, the more of the dilemma needs repetition. Mm -hmm. Last thing for me, just prepare, be prepared for how awkward repetition is. I think that's one reason that, that it seems odd or it doesn't get done is it just seems socially awkward to continue to repeat these phrasings over and over and over. But what you'll find is when someone is stuck that way, they just need more time and more reflection. 
And it's a good day if they say, I got it. You know, make them cry uncle. And uh, what you'll find is you'll have a new client. Wow. Ryan, this has been a really good episode, y'all. And so let me just say, tell you once again, so this is this is setting up going into a podcast we're going to be doing here soon. Uh, when those blocks come up or when those interruptions, when you're focused and you're doing a piece of work and you're trying to get this piece of work of attachment dilemma and getting that limbic resonance before you move, how do you work with it when that interruption comes? Because it's coming. Let me just warn you, just like Ryan said, it's going to come. Because I gave an example and I made it look pretty. Clients that have been a little, that feel a little bit safer and you've done a little bit more work of creating safety, they can take these dilemmas in a, a little bit differently. But when they first start, the interruption's coming. So we're going to do a, a special podcast on some work we really got to learn from George Fowler a lot, where he kind of puts it into categories of green light, yellow light, red light. And that's how do you handle those interruptions when you're trying to do a significant piece of work to hold focus and get a response back or get the, the mission done that you're on. Yeah, so we got our three lights episode, and we got Block School 101 coming your way soon. They have a, a lot of uh, commonality, so looking forward to uh, next episodes. Yep. And so before I close out this way, I haven't talked to Ryan about this, so now I'm surprising him. Give us some feedback. One, make sure you go on our podcast, subscribe, and review to our podcast, but we also want to hear from you. So definitely go on to uh, Facebook and leave us some feedback. Email us. Some of you have. We appreciate the feedback. And and also, I'm plan like what I want to do, these are some very high-level moves we're planning a way of how can we create an experience for you all to maybe go into depth. And so maybe that is through a webinar on Zoom or something of that nature to where you can have an interactive time with Ryan and I, or maybe even George Fowler being there, because he's definitely one of our regular contributors here, is where we'll do a webinar where you can ask questions and go more in depth. So if that's something that you would like to hear, please reach out to us. If you'd like that personalized experience where we maybe take a podcast and we do a particular Zoom with an inner group of people on these to go a little bit more in depth with these different moves. Once again, thank you all and thank you for listening to The Leading Edge in EFT. Thank you for listening. We hope this experience helps you push the leading edge in your work to help people connect with themselves and with each other. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review. You can contact us at pushtheleadingedge at gmail.com. And you can follow us on our Facebook page at Push the Leading Edge. You can follow Ryan on Facebook at Ryan Rayner Professional Training and on his website, ryanraynertraining.com. You can follow James on Facebook and Instagram at LPC. You can also check out his website, DocHawkLPC.com. Mm-hmm.